Alright, today I want to speak to you about when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. When an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Let's just get up to speed on where we are in the book of Acts. Uh, John and Peter have uh, performed this great miracle under the, obviously, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, a gentleman who had been lame from birth uh, was given back uh, his ability to walk. And they are using, Peter and John are using this as an opportunity to tell everybody who was behind the healing. That it wasn't them, it was because of Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus Christ is the famous person who has recently been crucified by the religious leaders. And so uh, the religious leaders, they get kind of uptight with Peter and John, and so they pull them, first they throw them in jail just for good measure, and then they pull them out, and they, they basically um, wanted to ask them, by whose name or by whose power did you raise this guy up so that he can walk now? And, and they were unequivocal. They said that was by Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified. They didn't take too lightly, uh, that too lightly, and so they, it says in Acts 4.21, after further threats, they let them go. You see, they could only threaten them because actually people were, were getting even more excited about the fact that Jesus Christ was still having effect, even though people said, well, we saw him crucified, he was dead. But the message was that he didn't stay dead, he rose in three days. And we looked at this last week just from the idea, from the perspective of what can we learn because as the church goes into the 21st century, um, it, it is under threat. We can uh, see that there are forces that are against uh, the teachings of Christ at work in our world. And so um, we just took a look at some of the things that uh, that first church did in response to the threats that they were getting from the religious leaders that they should stop, they should cease and desist in, in talking about this Jesus Christ. And just if so you remember, they, they shared uh, with the body of Christ, Peter and John did, that they shared the threat. They went back to their peeps, they went back to their people, and they said, look at, we've been threatened uh, by these leaders. And then they prayed together, they were reminded of the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. And they asked God for courage and power. And they just demonstrated their commitment to continuing together by sharing communally all that they had. And then they continued on in the mission. They weren't going to let the threats, which turned out to be hollow in the great scheme of things, um, they weren't going to let those threats stop them. So let's just pick up the story in Acts 5, 12 to 42. Sit back, relax. It's a little lengthier, uh, but it's a wonderful story. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. 
this is a revolution that's going on. This is, this is big news. People are coming from the countryside into town because Peter and John are, uh, and the other disciples are ministering. And, and Peter, it seems in particular, um, has this gift of healing. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were the members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them to the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now, this is the second time they've been in jail for preaching the good news of Jesus. Um, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about the, this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. They're just, like, not taking no for an answer, are they? When the high priest and his associates arrived, they, they called together the Sanhedrin, that's the governing body of the Jewish people at the time, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to, to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what might, this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That's Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him in his own right God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus uh, appeared, claiming to be someone, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged, just for good measure. <laughs> then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never, I like that, Never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So who's the unstoppable force in this case? Right? 
Well, obviously it's God, right? And His will is happening. It's unfolding before their very eyes. Um, no, no threats. Uh, no jail bars. <laughs> and, and not even death itself was going to quell the will of God. He is the unstoppable force. Who thought they were an immovable object? Well, obviously the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and, and the leaders of the Jewish people, they figured they could put this out. They could snuff this out. They could take care of this. They could put an end to it. But all that they did was backfiring on them. And Gamaliel, a godly man, a wise man, I believe, presented the futility of their opposition. He said these words again, Leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. Right? <laughs> I mean, it'll fail. He brought some examples of other guys that had sort of started sort of something. Uh, but it all failed. But but they he said, you know, like if this is of God, don't get in the way because God is an unstoppable force. You might think you're an immovable object, but nah. This is God you're talking about. I want to contrast his words, Gamaliel's, with the words of Caiaphas, who really thought that he could squelch, he could snuff out this whole Jesus movement. Following, remarkably, following Jesus' raising of Lazarus, bringing him out of the grave when he had been dead, Caiaphas got the religious leaders to, together and he says, there's only one thing we can do here. And that is kill Jesus. We know how that worked out, right? We're here because it didn't work out this morning. He said uh, to the leaders, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And so they plotted to kill Jesus from that point on. They were going to snuff him out and put an end to this heresy that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah, and that He was going to bring salvation. We read in Proverbs 19.21 these powerful words. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. <laughs> we have all these plans, right? But God's will prevails. He is the unstoppable force. And so as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should take great comfort in that, right? That's comforting, that we serve um, a God who is unstoppable, that he brings about his purposes. The thing is that there's two sides to this coin for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to present the flip side just for a moment. The flip side is 
you might be the unmovable object. Have you ever thought of that? You might be the immovable object who's standing in the way of the unstoppable force and thinking that you can resist the will of God. Peter, in a different way than Caiaphas, but Peter re resisted the will of God. You probably remember these, uh, these famous, or this famous uh, event or occurrence. When Peter, after Jesus had said, I have to go and I'm going to be crucified, um, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And remember what Peter says? No, no, that's not going to happen. Let's just read this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him outside and began to rebuke him, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> oh, be careful what you say to the unstoppable force. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Any of you know what a goat is? Raise your hand if you know what a goat is. A goat! I saw two people raise their hand. Oh, three. Are you willing to commit to what you think a goat is? Goading, is it not to... Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You you're right, like... you're right. That's how we use the term, to goad somebody on. Good point. But I didn't ask you that, so you're wrong. <laughs> what is a goad? What is a goad? No, what is it to goad? You guys know what a goad is? Smart Alex. What's that? It's a prod. We got a picture of prod right here. There it is. A goat is a sharp pointed stick for urging on cattle. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know. Where's Robert? Did he leave? <laughs> Do we use goats anymore to, to move the cattle around? We should. <laughs> we should. <laughs> yeah, a goat is a, just a pointed stick that you move the, the cattle around. Well, I, there was Peter who resisted the will of Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. And then there's this guy called Saul, right? And good old Saul, he was going off to persecute the church when Jesus, and he, when Jesus broke into his life with a big flash of light. And he said these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, if you talk to Colleen, who thankfully is not here this morning to hear this, if you talk to Colleen, she would tell you anything... Oh, she might not say it. She's too sweet. <laughs> Let me tell you. If there's something busted in my house, and I try to fix it, ten times out of ten, not even nine times, ten times out of ten, I make it worse. That's what Jesus is saying to Saul. 
If you try to kick against, if a cow tries to kick against the goat, what's it going to do? It just makes it worse. And so Jesus said to Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? You're not, I am the unstoppable force. Why would you go and persecute my church? So Saul got put in place. And then finally, we see that, and as I read earlier, the words and the story of Jonah. Jonah just didn't like the idea that God wanted to, you know, even speak to the people of Nineveh, these pagan pigs. He didn't want to associate with those people. He didn't think his God should lower himself. And so he decided to escape from the will of God. And guess what? The unstoppable force opened the fish, fish's mouth. And then he spit him back up on the shore. And he ended up doing it, even though he resented it the whole time he was doing it. He went to Nineveh and presented the words that were a threat, really, from God to turn from your ways. And when they did, we see that Jonah was spiteful. He said, I'd rather die than watch this display of grace and compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You see, Peter, Saul, and Jonah... They figured they were doing the right thing. Each one of them. Actually, they were pretty much, you know, one was a prophet. Another guy was a, a rabbi, a religious leader. And Peter is like the head honcho of the disciples. These are guys that, you know, and they all figured they were doing the right thing. But they were all resisting the will of God. So just because you think you're doing the right thing, you could be resisting the will of God. Here's a crazy thing for a pastor to say on a Sunday morning. Do you know that it could be the will of God for you not to go to church on Sunday morning, one Sunday morning? Maybe two, three, I don't know about that. <laughs> Let me explain. Perhaps you have somebody who needs you to be with them. The right thing is to go to church. No, it's not. The right thing is to be with that person. That's the right thing. And so we can resist the will of God by doing what we think is the right thing, when in fact, we're resisting an unstoppable force. And God might end up correcting you, might end up rebuking you my end up bringing you into line. So, just to close, how in the world could we take on the role of the immovable object with the will of God? Well, someone here could actually be someone who is resisting God's call on their life. The fact that you're in a church building tells me <laughs> that you are losing the battle. But you could be somebody who is refusing 
to allow God to be the Lord of, of, of your life. Another way that you can be an immovable object is you might have decided that this is the right thing and I'm going to do it. And it might not have anything to do with God's will, but it's just something you've decided because it sounds right and it's the right thing to do and you want to do it. So that's another way you can be an immovable object. So first you could be an immovable object because you will, you won't let Christ be your Lord. Secondly, you could be an immovable object because you have decided in your own heart, remember what we said? Many are the plans of people, right? So maybe you have your plans and you're set on them. And that could be against God's will. And that's another way that you could resist the will of, the will of God in your life. You don't want to resist the will of God because he's an unstoppable force. He's going to bring about his will. If you talk to Saul, if you talk to Peter, if you talk to Jonah, talk to Caiaphas for crying out loud. You realize, they realize, they know that trying to resist God's will doesn't turn out well. Leads to bad things, not good things. And so I want to encourage us today to take heed to the words of Gamaliel, who said, if this is a human plan, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, God's an unstoppable force. And no matter who you are, if you think you're an immovable object, you're not. God wants to do his will in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for um, just this incredible story of this first church and the lessons that we can learn from it. Lord, I pray that we would always be seeking to do your will, to stay in step with your spirit, to even question, well, any of our motives and just submit them fully, completely to you, to always acknowledge you in everything and to keep in step with your spirit. <clears throat> Help us not to assume that this or that is what you want, but to literally just wait on you and then follow in the steps that you need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless.